0: You're listening to Wilderness Times, a podcast exploring the intersection of faith and justice brought to you by Resistance Church and Jubilee United Church in Toronto. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Wilderness Times, released on Wednesday, November 16, 2022. My name is Brianne Swan, and in partnership with Norm Seely, I am one of the called ministers at Jubilee United Church in Toronto. I also serve the Resistance Church community, one of Jubilee's digital ministries. Jubilee United Church, and by extension, Resistance Church, are affirming ministries within the United Church of Canada. But what the heck does it mean to be an affirming community? In a United Church of Canada context, this means that a faith community has undertaken an intentional process with Affirm United S'affirmer Ensemble and discerned a path towards being public, intentional, and explicit around their engagement with 2 LGBTQIA plus persons. Jubilee United became an affirming ministry in 2013, And from its very beginning, Resistance Church has been formed by those who hold a diverse range of sexual and gender identities. As we often say in our worship services, this diversity is part of what makes us whole and holy. This goes far beyond simply welcoming. It is about who is sitting at the table influencing how the community grows and takes shape. Acknowledging these differences of expression and being as gifts from God, and reflecting the very nature of God themselves. On this episode, I had the pleasure of sitting down with American professor and author Cynthia Vaca Davis, talking about her newly released book, Intersection. I was joking to a colleague the other day that perhaps the Wilderness Times tagline should be, Authors of books Reverend Brianne thinks you should read. Well, I'm at it again. We're talking to an author, and yes, I think you should read their book. Although Intersection was written by Cynthia, it really feels like it belongs to two people. Cynthia and her friend Danny. It is told in both Danny and Cynthia's voices. And it's a moving and hopeful exploration of the cost of being known as an intersex minority and the cost of true allyship. From its publisher, Lakeview Books, Intersection is a story of what it means to come into one's own. It is a book for so many of us who are desperately craving a more authentic life and a story about the intersections we find ourselves in by no choice of our own. I had a fabulous early-morning chat with Cynthia online, and I cannot wait to share our conversation. But first, here is American singer-songwriter Mommy Issues and their track, Don't Leave Me Here Alone. You can find Mommy Issues and links to their music by going to our show notes at wildernesstimes.ca. it is so great to have you with us on the Wilderness Times podcast. Thank you for being here. Oh, Thank you morning. for
1: inviting me. I'm so happy to be speaking with you.
0: So not that I'm going to hold you to a 30 second time limit or any time <laughs> limit, really. But if, if you were going, to, if you just met someone and you were like, I need to tell you about my book, how would you summarize what your book yeah is about. that
1: is a hard hard question it's um it's harder than writing the book is answering this question because there's so many little components to the book but um the best i've come up with is it's a dual narrative it is my story and the way that it intersects with uh, my friend danny's story danny is intersex and i um at the time when Danny and I became good friends I had known uh, him before but the time when I actually truly got to know who he was inside um because Danny is intersex and he had been presenting female when I met him so I did not know who Danny truly was in the day that I um was privileged um that Danny confided me um uh, confided his story to me um it, it coincided with events in my own life where I had been um, adjuncting um, as an English professor at two different schools. And one of the schools um, suddenly um, and miraculously offered me this very attractive promotion. Um, and for those not um, familiar with academia, like tenure track is like the golden ticket. It's like... Um, it is the holy grail of academia, trying to get a tenure-track position. And suddenly, this little school was offering little old me this instant promotion. Um, but it came with a catch, which I quickly came to realize. Um, and this school had um, adopted a policy um, called the Marriage and Family Statement. And they were going to require me and everyone else, uh, this had been a newly adopted thing, to sign a statement saying that LGBTQ+, um, people were um, repugnant, was the word they used, um, and offensive to God and offensive to the principles of the university. And if I was going to take this very attractive job, I was going to have to sign that statement. And at the same time, Danny had just confided his, his deepest secret to me and had asked me for support and help. So, these two things were in total conflict. So, the story is about that intersection of Danny's story, my story, and then how we went on together to become very good friends and to both find our authentic voices and to become a truer, more real version of ourselves in separate ways, but also together as friends. Danny is still a very good friend to this day, and he's been a huge part mm-hmm. of this book. Um, He's totally, um, he's behind every single thing that I do with the book. He just doesn't want to be the face of the book <laughs> or to have anything really to do with writing or, <laughs> or out there stumping it. So,
0: <laughs> Yeah, I noticed that. Is it is it that Danny is shy or is that it's just still not safe enough yet
1: externally for him to be
0: visibly... Talking about. Yeah,
1: it's a little bit of both. Danny is not a writer, so he did not. He was very generous in sharing his story, asking me to write his story. He wanted it out in the world, but he is not in any way, shape, or form interested in um, in the writing prospect. He's a numbers guy. He's an accountant. Um, and also there is this sort of safety issue. He's come on a couple of podcasts with me, but, um, he has, he's not shared his face and he actually, um, scrambles his voice a little bit because he just really prefers to have kind of this anonymity over his true, um, identity. And, um, we've talked about it actually um, on a podcast one time, where he feels that in some ways he he likens it to um, when people are sharing really traumatic stories um, on the news, and they're kind of blacked out um, stories of rape or other very personal things. There, peop- that kind of screen almost allows them to be more authentic and more real about their mm-hmm. story because they're not afraid of having their face and their name may be attached to it in such a way that it's dangerous. So I know that for Danny, he's also somewhat worried, um, about the political climate and about, um, for fear of, um, maybe, um, being outed and having his rights taken away. And he, you know, he's still kind of struggling through all of, all of those thoughts and all of those worries and concerns. So he prefers to mm-hmm. support on the sidelines. And, uh, And let me be the spokesperson for the project. (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm. And I can tell that you hold that responsibility, um, really tenderly. Like you understand, I I get the sense that you understand of what a, what a privilege and, um, it is to hold both of your stories. Definitely. It's,
1: it's a huge, huge thing to carry. Um, and I, I take the responsibility extremely seriously and pretty much, um, check in with Danny on everything that's, that's happening, make sure he's feeling safe and comfortable. And, um, we talk very frequently and he's so excited when he hears good news about the story getting out. He just, um, (laughs) (laughs) he likes to get the news from me and just kind of stay in the background.
0: (laughs) So you mentioned when you met Danny prior to being offered a 10 year track, position at the like
1: what were the circumstances of you meeting? Yeah, so Danny and I actually attended the same church. and um since Danny was presenting female um and was with um at the time a female partner, um, in a not in a relationship that um, appeared to be like it appeared that they were lesbians. And so I thought, um and I was closer at that time to Danny's partner. and I and many other people just assumed that they were a lesbian couple. And um, then it just one summer, it became very apparent that Danny was going through something. Um, Danny became kind of uh, withdrawn, and um, he's always been known for his upbeat personality, and he was not upbeat. It was very clear that there were some some things going on, and no one really knew. Um, There's a lot of concern, but no one knew. And um, my husband and I had um, kind of developed a bit of a reputation for being safe space for queer people. We just all, for a hundred different reasons, we have a lot of people on the LGBTQI um, spectrum. They've come into our lives, and Danny knew this, and um, one day, kind of just asked us to come and talk um, at a Panera, and he told us his story. And it was really one of the first times he had ever verbalized his truth of who he truly was. Um, And he was practicing. He wanted safe people to practice on because there is a huge um, biological component, a physical component to being intersex. And Danny's life was quite literally um, at risk physically and also Mm -hmm. mentally. And even though he had guarded his secret for over 30 years it was very clear that he was not going to be able to carry on um, keeping it. And he said, I might lose everything. I might lose my family. I might lose my faith community. And so I'm practicing sharing this on people that are safe and hopefully building a team of support around me. So um, that is... And what year would that have been That was 2014. It was in the fall of 2014. Yeah, I'm always sort
0: of placing these really important moments in time in America like in the American historical spectrum too because this you know it, it the the tea party was already there obviously but the the rhetoric leading up throughout 15 16
1: 17 would have only increased Absolutely The danger, I imagine. Absolutely. And it was actually Um, a political response that led to that statement being drafted by the um, university because um, gay marriage had not been federally legalized yet. And Virginia, where I live, um, had mm -hmm. already legalized um, same-sex marriage. So this school that I was teaching at was in the neighboring state of North Carolina. And they were kind of bracing themselves and afraid that, oh, if Virginia has adopted this, maybe this is coming to North Carolina and we need to send a message to our supporters of where we stand. So it was very politically motivated. Did that, did it come out of the blue for you? The, the statement that they wanted you to sign or were you like, oh no, I could see that this was probably Ooh. coming? No, actually it, it, I didn't see it coming because I already worked there and had not been asked to sign mm. anything like that. Um, because it was uh, a permanent tenure track rule, I knew that there was going to be a little more scrutiny than just working there as an adjunct. But I had already gone through what they called the doctrinal interview, and nothing bad came of that. So I thought I was out of the woods. Um, I knew the school to be more conservative than I was, but I thought that there was maybe some room for a... Um, some difference in opinion and some some difference in um, interpretation of scriptures. And after making it through that doctrinal interview, I thought there were other things that were going to uh, kind of trip me up. I thought, oh, we're going to you know, come to heads on some other issues, and we didn't. So by the time I was hit with this marriage and family statement, we were already, I had already been to HR and talking about um, benefits and, and then it was, Mm -hmm. (laughs) oh, we have the statement, but um, actually I, um, I outed myself uh, before, um, anyhow, because the day that this was all happening, I knew I was already working on a project about intersex. I didn't know it was going to turn into this book, but I was already researching and I was already adopting a writing project around intersex for um, the graduate program I was in, um, the MFA program I was in. I knew I wanted to write about intersex for my thesis. And I knew that since that would be my thesis, I wasn't going to be able to keep that hidden. And so I told, I I completely told um, the... uh, the academic dean, I said, I I don't know how this is going to be received here, but I have recently adopted this thesis project and you need to know this.
2: (laughs) Mm -hmm.
1: And that's how everything kind of, you know, (laughs) came to a head like, okay, so this is your thesis, but also you need to know that we've just adopted the statement and you will have to sign it.
0: I could, yeah, I, I wish I was a fly on oh. the wall for that conversation, honestly. Just how that would have played. played well, if anyone's
1: of, curious, it you, is in the book. I tried to write it as yeah. a fly on the wall situation because I think people do need to know what goes on behind closed doors in some Christian spaces. Mm-hmm. And uh, I found uh, the conversation to be concerning on many levels.
0: Yeah, I mean, especially in Christian spaces, because I think that, at least my experience, is that we often hold up Christian spaces as being the places where we can be the most authentic. Mm -hmm. Like, for goodness sake, we're hanging out with God, right? right? We should be able to be the most authentic that we are, and yet there are examples over and over again of where that's not the case. And um, Resistance Church, which is one of the communities that I help lead that is part of this of this podcast, we talk about rest, hope, and community as forms of holy resistance. Ooh. But essentially, when church functions as it's supposed to in its most authentic way, it, it should be a, it shouldn't need like a label like resistance. Right. It, it shouldn't need to be like spelled out. It simply is resistance to all of these forces that make us feel like we need to hide who we are and we need to conform to some sort of like really damaging status quo. And um, so I love every attempt by every person who sort of pushes the buttons on Christian silence and Christian secrecy to try to open it up a little more to be like no God is intending for us to be authentic yes.
1: and that's such a and <laughs> authenticity is often messy. oh it is it's so messy and that's that's what where Danny's story and mine really did intersect around this idea of authenticity because he wasn't living authentically by any stretch of the imagination mm-hmm. you know really tr- truly hiding who he was inside. And I realized that there were um, parts of my life that were not authentic if I was going, especially if I was going to be able to, if I was going to take this job and show up every day at this institution, um, you know, but by virtue of just being there and having to sign that statement, people would attach those values and those beliefs to me. And I would almost have to be like Mm -hmm. pretending every day. And that wasn't something that was acceptable to me. Um, And it made me reflect about all the other things that I kind of had to stuff down if I was going to be able to remain in good standing in a church community. And I realized all the ways that church, evangelical American church especially, um, often does not um, allow space for people to be their true authentic selves and how sad that was. And I loved what you said about we're hanging out with God. We should be. <laughs> we should be our most authentic selves when we're in church. And it just seemed like such a disconnect to me. Mm-hmm.
0: So in what ways has your life changed since you went on this journey? <laughs> it's
1: it's this almost journey. like everything burned to the ground. Um and there were other things in my personal life that happened as well, but you know, just the age that I am, where I came, um, you know, my children had now left home, and also, um, you know, Danny and I ended up both leaving our church community, and you know, my and my, my husband, you know, also. I mean, we all and Danny has uh, Danny's married now, and um, he and his wife left the church community that we were at. And um, I, in all of this, found my voice. And I realized that if I gave up this position, I was going to trade it for having a voice. And I started practicing using my voice in all different sorts of arenas and found that the more authentic that I was and the more true Um, that I was to myself and the more everything that I put out on the outside matched what I felt on the inside, I found that I attracted people that were really good people (laughs) that were, that that became friends. I started making more friends than I had before and the relationships were deeper and truer and um, my social life just started to blossom because I was making new friends and speaking my mind. And I often um, talk about the principle of attract and repel. And it was something I just learned in a marketing class I took online. And uh, the principle was just be yourself and your people will be attracted to who you are. And a certain percentage of people will be absolutely repelled and that's okay because it's an instant sorting out process <laughs> and, and it's a way to, um, to bring your people to you because they know who you are. So I started living out Attract and Repel <laughs> and I have found that it has, uh, it has been a really useful tool. So yeah, my life has changed radically. <laughs> What is your relationship to
0: the, I guess, Capital C Church? Mm.
1: Yeah, so that's a really interesting question. I do not attend any church at this point. Um, I think your church sounds like a place where I'd feel at home. <laughs> but um, it started off, you know, after my husband and I and Danny and his wife all left our, our faith community. Mm-hmm. Um, we kind of were in a take a break from all of this space, let's just feel things out. Let's, um, let's see, see what happens. And um, so it's hard to say I truly have a relationship with with church, but when you say capital C church, um, I'm wondering, do you mean more like um, universal church or um, or are you Yeah,
0: like, so rather than just a specific congregation like, the the global, like, church in its entirety, I suppose. Yeah.
1: You know. Yeah, so that, yeah. I find that there are, uh, I guess I'm kind of still trying to figure out where I land and if going to church physically is part of what will be in my life mm-hmm. in the future. I have a relationship with God, and I am in communion with God. And um, I find myself drawn to... um a lot of Episcopalian um, ideals and thought, and um, I'm still sorting some of that out. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I think that
0: sometimes the break from feeling attached or owing something to the church gives the space to figure out what it is we need right. from a relationship exactly with, with God and what we have to offer as well because it's a two-way It's a two-way thing. It's time for Bible Bites. My name is Julian. I use they, them pronouns. I'm currently living in Toronto, Ontario.
1: I'm chair at Affirm United Saffo Ensemble. I'm reading Psalm 139, verse 14. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your
0: works are wonderful. I know that full well.
1: So um, the psalm was around being fearfully and wonderfully made, and I thought it spoke so much to Danny's story. And we talked earlier about uh, being a fly on the wall as uh, as I was talking with uh, the board of the university about, um, intersex and the conversation was troubling to me because it, um, I think that there was a lot of, of thought that intersex was, um, a mistake or a a birth defect or Mm. something that's just so rare that, um, you know, it, it, It it was, um, just not the way it was intended to be. I think that was the message that I got. And, uh, um, at one point someone, um, compared it to alcoholism and compared it to, um, they were trying to make a case that, um, Danny's, uh, situation was so rare that, um, he had to adopt celibacy and, uh. Just accept that he was almost defective, I think, was the uh, the message that they were trying to send. And I don't think that's the case. I don't think that um, the way someone is born is, uh, is defective. And I think that um, to just try to explain away um, intersex, in particular, in this case, as just uh, an unfortunate mistake is just... It's so wrong, and it made Danny feel like, "Oh, do I not even exist? Do I not even matter? This is who I am." And um, he is fearfully and wonderfully made, and I think that that's that's a lot of the reason why I chose that verse. But yet, we are all fearfully and wonderfully made, and our authentic and true selves are part of the way God made us. So that's why I chose that verse. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and sometimes being fearfully and wonderfully made makes other people feel uncomfortable. Like as I hear you talk about the things that were said to Danny and about things that were said to you about your work and stuff, it feels like the things that were on the surface supposed to be supportive were actually about maintaining the safety of of the dominant group. Oh, yeah. You know, that... Absolutely um, that these sort of the mollifying or the words of of um, the sort of saccharine kindness were really about the safety of everybody oh, else absolutely
1: absolutely, Danny. yes, <laughs> and I think there was a lot of concern from the university perspective of protecting their reputation, um not upsetting their donors, mm-hmm. um, universities are supposed to be places where we seek truth. Um, we're supposed to be able at, at a university to, to interrogate an issue fully and not to, um, there was also a comment of, I can't accept this idea that science and the Bible wouldn't agree. And, um, I thought it was really interesting that that really truly wasn't the, the concern. It was your interpretation of the Bible and, (laughs) <laughs> you're trying to protect that and say that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I see the Bible this way and science isn't agreeing. So therefore the science is wrong. <laughs> Instead of realizing that if God right. truly made this world, that science and God are the same thing.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. So what was a turning point? Was, it, was there a single turning point or was it multiple turning points for, for Danny and coming to terms with... Not so much um, being intersex, but being intersex in the world as it is. Mm.
1: So, are you um, are you asking about like why Danny chose to um, to come out and to talk about um, his identity?
0: Yeah, m- maybe or um, just was there because in the beginning of the conversation, you know, we're talking about how Danny came to you and he right, hadn't told right. anybody. About this, and I guess I don't actually know how many people in Danny's life now oh. know that he is. Intersex
1: oh, yeah. Okay, so um, a lot of people do know that he's intersex. Um, not everybody, because he um, he is fully fully male. Like you just uh, if you were to meet him, <laughs> you would never know that he was anything other than who um, you know <laughs> who he is today, and. Looks 100% masculine. And so he also struggles with this because um, when you do go through a transition like that and are able to fully integrate and to fully, um, you know, just kind of go from I was female and now I'm fully 100% presenting myself to the world as masculine, um, it's called, they call it being stealth. So Danny can live out the rest of his life. And anybody new that he meets would never, never have to know his background. And he struggles with that a little bit because there are so many mm-hmm. other people that maybe don't have that ability. So I think um, in many ways that is, is something that's on his mind, that he is, feels a little bit like, mm, I get to do this, but not everybody does. And should I should I talk about this more? And, you know, it's a journey. And I think in his journey right now, he's... The first part is just absolute, um, just marveling that he gets to live a life that he never expected was going to be available to him. And um, mm-hmm. and being so blessed and thrilled and happy that that happened. But also um, thinking through, well, what is my, maybe my responsibility to other people? And I think that sharing his story um, is part of what he... Um, is doing to try to help others that are in his situation. Um, it is his way of saying, Hey, you know, there are other people like you, and um, and you are, you know going back to the fearfully and wonderfully made. So I think that um, the way he chose to share his story by allowing me to tell it is part of the way that he gives back to the community, mm. um, but yeah, it's a really complex set of circumstances, and it's a lot to to process. And uh, and I think, um, you know, he uh, that's where he is in his journey today.
0: And how about you? How has this journey affected your faith and relationship with God? And it's
1: it's broader and and than it ever has been. I think that people like to think of God in very narrow terms. And so I've allowed my curiosity to lead me in different directions. If I'm curious about studying something, I just study it and I don't automatically put a lid on it and say, oh, that's not part of what we think or part of what we do. Because I I made the statement earlier about, you know, science and God being the same thing. I think that if we're going to accept that God made everything, then everything we learn about the world is part of learning about God. So I think that when I detached from... Um, aligning with a specific church and their set of of uh, principles, it freed me up to just look at the world broadly and see God in it. Um, one thing in my background: I went to a lot of different churches when I was growing up, um, and I found that every single church had their own set of beliefs. And they didn't match from church to church. At one church, it was really like, oh, we think this way, we don't think that way. At another church, it was, um, you know, baptism is absolutely crucial. You go to hell if you're not baptized. And then at another church, they don't care much about baptism, but you better not dance or play cards. And it was just, every church was so different that that is... um, when you detach from, oh, if I'm going to be part of this church community, I have to adopt this set of esoteric beliefs. Um, and if I go over here, I can kind of abandon some of that, but now I have to adopt this set of beliefs. And I needed to detach myself from that for a while and just discover God out in the world.
0: Mm-hmm. So is there anything that I haven't asked that you're like, damn it. <laughs> I really need to say this. I
1: love that question because I teach journalism um, at my, my university that I'm working at. And that is something that I always tell my students to end their interviews with. So I love that you did that. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I am just so passionate about community and that is a subtext in the book is finding community. And I am trying to even build community around my book. And my hope is that as people find the book and as they read it and as they realize um, that they have needs for community um, that must be met because it's how we're wired, um, I hope that people are encouraged to find community where they are. I think community can be found exactly where you are. And it might even be community that um, is temporary. Like you show up at a place um, and start talking to the people around you. And you might not see them again. Maybe you'll make connections that will last. But I think community can be found moment to moment, day by day. Um, but also um, being able to make connections with with people who will be there for you um, through in the trenches, through the thick and thin. And I also would invite people to reach out to me um, on my website and um, become part of my broader community. Um, I would love to keep in touch with people and uh, and help people to think through ways to find community every day um, because I think that that's definitely mm-hmm. how we are wired to to live in community with one another.
0: Well, thank you so much for oh, being with us. Thank you for us. having me. And, it was great. Um, we'll be... <laughs> Sharing all of the links to your community, to your book, to everything on the Wilderness Times Wonderful. website. So, I'm so excited.
1: So Thank you. <laughs>
3: See
0: was Amori and her song Lighthouse from her 2019 album In Faith. You can hear more from Amori and find links to her music by going to our show notes. Now, one of the things that has been niggling at me and perhaps has niggled at you too in listening to my interview with Cynthia is that Cynthia is speaking about Danny's experience, almost on his behalf. And as somebody who firmly believes that people need to be able to tell their own stories in their own voices, this has been sitting with me as I have been putting this episode together. When you read Intersection, the reality that Danny was absolutely integral and formational in the creation of the story comes through much better. But as you heard Cynthia say earlier, It is sometimes still not safe for people to tell their stories on their own. In the most recent issue of the Canadian Journal of Theology, Mental Health and Disability, there was a really great article about kink, which I will link to in our show notes, specifically shabari or rope. In the article, the minister felt the need to remain anonymous. They emphasize that kink is not always sexual, and especially emphasize the aspects of consent and play, concepts often so radical to our consumptive culture. And while I acknowledge that there is a strong difference between being intersex and participating in kink, one thing that connects the two is the longing to sit authentically with and in our bodies. As Reverend Anonymous writes, kink is about embodiment, being with and within your body as it feels. Even in quote-unquote progressive circles, we are still not always at a point where the dominant culture of the church is ready to have full conversations about the diversity of bodies or sensual practices. Although I hope, through more stories such as Danny's and Reverend Anonymous, that it will become more and more normalized to talk about bodies, desires, sensuality, and sexuality, all as part of our most intimate and authentic relationship with the divine. Wilderness Times and Resistance Church are part of the digital ministry of Jubilee United Church. We are committed to continuing offering opportunities for spiritual engagement in digital spaces in the long term, but we need your help. Please consider a donation as an investment in this ministry. You can find our donations page by going to wildernesstimes.ca. From there, you can choose Wilderness Times from the drop-down menu. Whether you donate once or sign up for a monthly contribution, we are very, very grateful for your support. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode— For more information, including definitions and links to where you can buy Cynthia Vacadavis' book, Intersection, please go to our show notes at WildernessTimes.ca. If you have enjoyed listening to this episode, please consider leaving us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you are listening from. It really helps us get the word out about the show. Until next week, take care of yourselves and each other in these wilderness times. We'll see you soon. Wilderness Times and Resistance Church are ministries of Jubilee United Church, which is an affirming ministry of the United Church of Canada. You can find links to Jubilee, Resistance Church, as well as a full transcript of this episode by going to our show notes at WildernessTimes.ca.